0: Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Welcome back to our study of the Book of Malachi. In our last episode, we considered Malachi 2, 17-3.5. And in that section, Malachi takes an excursus of sorts, a sidebar, to frame the importance of what he's saying in terms of the covenant and the future. Malachi's prophecy proceeds from one indictment against the small community of Yehud, the remnant of Jewish people who had returned from the exile to live in the land, to another. Malachi has laid out the problem with the priests in 1.6 to 2.9 and then transition to the problem of marital fidelity in 210-16. And then, 217 functions kind of like a hinge. It confronts the lackadaisical attitude in the previous problems that said careful attention to God's law was unimportant. But 217 also introduces the next unit, which establishes the importance of preparation. We saw from last time that the overall idea is that the people were complaining about God's seeming absence, using this as a justification for their behavior. And Malachi responds that God is coming to accomplish salvation, but this will involve clearing the path, that is, removing the evildoers from their midst. With this in mind, we can look more closely at a significant and interpretive question. Who exactly is coming? What I'd like to do in this episode is briefly explore some of the interpretive difficulties which make this passage so complicated, lay out a few different interpretations which are currently on the table and which scholars discuss, and then, well, because I just can't help myself, I'll give a brief evaluation and a suggestion as to which one I think is the most likely. However, I hope to communicate that this is far from an easy passage, and no matter what one's position is here, any interpreter should acknowledge that this is an ambiguous passage, and so we should hold our conclusions lightly. Now, at the end of the series, we'll see that Malachi 4, 5-6 connects to 3-1, so that the messenger is seen as the returning Elijah. There, we will explore something of the fascinating history of interpretation of this figure. Doing so will require that we appreciate that junctures like 3.1, the passage is far from clear uh, in order to understand how later interpreters come to the conclusions they do. So uh, there are a few major issues. First is the number of agents. We can take, Yahweh as the speaker, uh, but when the text reads, behold, I am sending my messenger, we then have agent number one, Uh, and he will clear the way before me, and suddenly the Lord, wait a minute, is that agent number one again, the messenger Yahweh sent, or should we call that agent number two? When the Lord will come to his temple, which or whom you are seeking, and the messenger of the covenant, so again, is this introducing agent number three, or is the and um, indicating an apposition so that the messenger of the covenant is the Lord, agent number two. Or does it jump back to the first messenger, agent number one, which whom you are delighting in? Behold, he, again, this could be agent number one, two, or even number three, comes, says Yah- Yahweh Sabaoth. And who will endure the day of his coming? Now, whoever this last person is, he's the one who will use the fire and the soap. To make matters more complicated, again, the messenger could also be heavenly, like Zechariah's angel of the Lord. We also have the question of messianism. Should we take the Lord as a messianic prophecy, a prediction of the Messiah? Let's proceed by going through the text. So, verse 1 begins, Behold, I am sending my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. We saw in our last episode that the imagery here is of a delegate preparing the people for the entrance of a coming king so they can make proper arrangements. The fact that the temple will eventually be in view suggests that uh, we can go a step further and see this as like a processional, a king coming into the temple. This idea is seen several times in the Old Testament, in the Apocrypha, and even in the New Testament. It was used in other ancient Near Eastern cultures, though its impact on Jewish practice is debated. But the basic idea is that a king or a deity enters a city, but not just the city, the end destination is the temple with people celebrating before him at his arrival, like a triumphal parade leading into the temple. We can think of like David with the Ark in 2 Samuel 6, or Solomon in First Kings 8, or Simeon's parade into the temple after their victory in 2nd Maccabees. And of course, very famously, the Lord Jesus in the gospels coming into the temple with the people shouting Hosanna. These are all significant examples of this motif. Now, there are several differences and scholars predictably disagree about many of the details, but for our purposes, the important thing is that this was a well-known practice to rejoice by having a king or deity enter a city eventually to the temple, uh, preceded by those who celebrated his coming. Uh, From this perspective, when we have uh, God sending a messenger in a procession, the most natural way to understand this is that a messenger comes first. Who is this messenger? Well, the Hebrew, malak, uh, refers to both human messengers, like we saw when we introduced this book. Malachi means my messenger. And it also can refer to a heavenly messenger. That is like an angel. Virhoff lists several views as to who this has been taken to be. He writes, quote, According to the various points of view, he is a heavenly messenger, that is the angel of death, with uh, several Jewish interpreters uh, listed, the Messiah ben Joseph, who would precede the Messiah ben David, a human being, the prophets in general, or an ideal figure. Perhaps it is more likely to construct a pyramid of forerunners, which eventually has its pinnacle in John the Baptist, end quote. This is, of course, the context in which the Gospels cite Malachi as they introduce John the Baptist. They connect this prophecy with Isaiah 40 and apply it to him. However, Matthew 17 suggests that John the Baptist didn't exhaust this prophecy and that the coming messenger still has a role to play, a view confirmed by Revelation 11. So, Virhoff's pyramid may need yet another brick laid on the top of it. From the perspective of the exegesis of Malachi by itself, without, quote-unquote, cheating by looking at the Gospels as like an answer key, it would be difficult to eliminate most of the options suggested above. However, it is highly likely that this messenger is the same as the Elijah mentioned at the end of the book. So, this suggests an angel isn't in view. It also This also makes it unlikely that Malachi is referencing himself and his own prophecy in 3.1. So the text goes on, uh, he will clear the way before me and suddenly the Lord will come to his temple. The relationship between these two clauses is one of cause and effect. He will clear the way before me and so the Lord will come to his temple. Since the way has been prepared, he can thus enter. And this does pose a difficulty since the first person pronoun me is used first and then the third person the Lord is used. And even though this sounds strange to our ears, the Hebrew Bible is full of language like this, where the point of view quickly shifts so that a figure who is at one point referred to as me all of a sudden is considered as him and vice versa. Notice that Malachi switches back to the first person, I will draw near, in verse 5. Again, since the triumphal procession has the owner of the temple being the crowning achievement and climactic moment, it makes sense that God is coming into his own temple here. The word used here for Lord doesn't necessarily have to refer to deity. In fact, by one count, it has a human referent to a divine referent in a ratio of 10 to 1. But the presence of the definite article, the Lord, does increase the likelihood that God is in view, since the other times, the Lord, it occurs, it refers to God. From my count, Yahweh is attached to it in all its other occurrences, with the definite article, the, in front of Lord. However, the fact that Yahweh is speaking as the one who is coming is the strongest indicator that God is the referent. So we might wonder, is this a messianic prophecy? Does the Lord in 3.1 predict the coming of the Lord Jesus? Beyond Jesus being God, and so verses that talk about God are talking about him, the answer is most likely no. The fact that the figure comes into the temple does not require him to be a physical human being. As we saw last time, this imagery is best understood against the backdrop of God leaving the temple during the destruction of Jerusalem. God leaving the temple didn't require him taking on humanity, so neither would him entering the temple. Uh, That doesn't mean that a messianic idea is impossible, only that if that were the idea in Malachi's mind, he has not left us textual indicators. It is possible he was thinking of the Messiah, Zechariah, for example, speaks of a crown being placed on Joshua the high priest's head with the pronouncement, Behold the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. That's from the ESV. Well, now's not the time to get into Zechariah, but if, as seems likely, Malachi would have known about this prophecy and would have seen it as messianic, and if he viewed the coming Messiah as divine, then I suppose it is possible that this could lie behind the idea of the Lord entering the temple. However, if that is what he's thinking, he hasn't gone out of his way to make sure his readers pick up that reference. But what about this next reference? We read, Suddenly the Lord will come to his temple, which or whom you are seeking, and the messenger of the covenant, which or whom you are delighting in. Behold, he comes, says Yahweh Sabaoth. Now some take this as, yet again, a third figure, though that is a minority opinion. Most see two figures. But the question among them is this, does my messenger equal the messenger of the covenant or are we to equate the Lord with the messenger of the covenant? Ray Clendenin argues strongly for the latter position so that and functions appositionally. The main line of evidence in favor of this is the repetition of whom you are seeking and whom you are delighting in. It is clear that the structure of Malachi 3.1 parallels the Lord whom you are seeking with the messenger of the covenant whom you are delighting in. Now, as the strongest piece of evidence that the messenger of the covenant is a messianic prophecy being equated with the Lord, I find this unsatisfactory and I'm unpersuaded. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but I've got to call it as I see it. As long as I'm asked to do these episodes, you got to hear my opinion. Parallelism is a poor argument for identification. In poetry, for example, uh, there's synonymous parallelism, but there are other kinds as well. So, how do we know that this isn't some kind of synthetic parallelism where the second line changes a key ingredient? This is particularly tricky when specific individuals are in view. So, for example, Psalm 105:26 reads, He sent Moses his servant and Aaron whom he had chosen. Now, clearly, these, these two lines are parallel and the two are in close association. Moses and Aaron go together. But still, Moses doesn't equal Aaron. They remain separate individuals. It certainly seems possible that the people delighted in the messenger of the covenant and the Lord himself, or at least that's what they claim to have rejoiced in. So, parallelism is a weak argument for identification. On the other hand, the repetition of messenger in uh, first in my messenger and then the messenger of the covenant without any indication otherwise is best taken as referring to the same figure. So, structurally, we have a chiasm. A, behold, I am sending my messenger. B, the Lord whom you are seeking will come to his temple. And then A prime, the messenger of the covenant whom you are seeking, behold, he comes. A chiasm or inverted parallelism occurs often and my purpose in bringing it up here is to point out that biblical authors pick up a subject, move to something else, and then work their way back to that initial subject. So, to think about structure, the repetition of behold and messenger argue for parallelism just as much as the repeated whom you seek or delight. To all this, we can add the importance of triumphal procession imagery so that the messenger arrives before the grand entrance of the deity as the climactic moment of the parade. It would be strange to think of the messenger as the entering deity. Instead, it seems more likely that he comes to prepare for the important person. Now, the effect of this is that the messenger, behold, he comes in the beginning of verse one, and the messenger, behold, he comes at the end of verse one, refer to the same messenger. And this means that the work of destruction, the work of being a fire and soap are accomplished by the messenger. In this reading, the bulk of three, one to five is about the coming messenger, and only one quick line has to do with the coming of the Lord into the temple. The reason for this is because Malachi wants to answer the question that was raised in 2.17, where is the God of justice? His point is that God is coming to his temple, but before him must come the preparer, the one who will clear the way by destroying the wicked. While John the Baptist did not do this work, we will have to wait to discuss the coming of Elijah to see how this messenger has a role that is yet to be fulfilled in the future. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emayus.edu/partner.